Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblin and Michael Cedric, here to look back on everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0. Oh, oh. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz of course on wrestle culture as i said they're joined by hample and Cedric to review aew dynamite of course the tribute show uh to brody lee what did you make of it all Sitch? i will delve extensively into why i thought this was a magnificent episode of tv as we go throughout particularly some absolutely immaculate and deft booking of the four pillars of aew what a hard on i got there by the way, as deft as David Eric 22 sign, some might say. Thank you to him on Twitter. Thank you very much. That was absolutely awesome. And for the additional sign too. Yes, I will go into it in due course. But for now, my succinct take is, I was in a rubbish mood yesterday. Uh, just a pretty rotten mood yesterday. And when I left my house this morning to come to work, it was pissing down. And I hate the rain and I hate the wind. And this show put me in an absolutely marvellous mood because it was awesome. And that's what your escapism, escapism <laughs> should do. Uh, yeah, I wasn't as high on this show, but it was dynamite, so it's never really bad. And it was like, it was good, not great for the most part. I really appreciated a lot of the seeds being planted um, because we're two years in now and you always can because you know what, like, like what are going to sprout from these seeds that are getting planted. So we've gone from the days of you know, kind of being a bit generous and being like, yeah, this was a setup episode, you know, like kind of like starting everything again. Now they, they don't really have setup episodes. They just have weeks where they set a load of stuff up. You know, there's like, there's some stories that are like coming to an end. There's some that are in the middle. We're kind of, it's not just like as simple as a pay-per-view, a pay-per-view cycle anymore. There's some stuff set up for Rampage because you've got this extra hour of TV with which big matches need being built. And I think I prefer that from a formatting point of view, I prefer it because there's always little seeds being planted in storylines. And I think I like them more than I like the actual delivery of some of the bigger angles on this show. Not a bad time. Dynamite's never a bad time. Um, and I would say this, the kindest thing I can probably say about this is I had really low expectations for this episode and it definitely over-delivered on them. Mm, yeah. It's like a nine out of 10 show. I thought there were some no, great matches and some unforgettable promo lines, which we will no doubt get into. Uh, so the show opens up. There's a, an in memory of Brody Lee graphic. 
and uh, never as the it's Wednesday night, you know what that means. Felt more appropriate than right here. Um, CM Punk comes out, teases diving in the crowd and has to get back up to the desk because he's got the guest commentary spot. Uh, and the show opens with the match we predicted. Uh, Jungle Boy versus Adam Cole. Great story told in this match. Initially. What a wonderful thing for you to just say out loud, by the way. Mm. What? Just Jungle Boy versus oh, Adam yeah. Cole. <laughs> yeah, it opened up with that. And uh, I just thought they told a great story early on, sort of you know, back and forth, feeling each other out. And Jungle Boy actually initially gets the best of it, knocks him down with a shoulder tackle, hits a springboard arm drag, and Cole's like, all right, fair enough. They get into it. Eventually, Cole takes control. He hits a backstabber, hits an Ushigoroshi, gets a near fall off the back of that. He's uh, he's taunting him. Then Jungle Boy suddenly pops up, reverse Hurricane Rider, sliding forearm, gets a near fall off that, and uh, almost hits... Uh, sort of, well, he does hit some sort of modified Death Valley driver for another near fall. Cole, as he often does, then surprises Jungle Boy with a super kick, sends him out to the floor, considers even hitting a Panama sunrise to the floor. In the end, though, Jungle Boy goes for a dive to the outside after a bit of a back and forth, and Cole hits him with a drop kick. But Jungle Boy then just nails a, a insane Hurricane Rana over the top rope to the outside. What a maneuver, in the words of CM Punk. Uh, Jungle Boy gets back in, though, gets hit with a super kick, gets hit with a Panama Sunrise. One, two, Jungle Boy kicks out, shocked face from Adam Cole. I'll get your thoughts on that in a second, Sige. Uh, he pulls down the knee pad, goes for what used to be the last shot. We think it's called the boom now. Um, but Jungle Boy dodged it, pops him in the snare trap, much to Tony Schiavone's excitement. He was willing him on here. The, the bias... Maybe uh, maybe slightly came out here from Tony Schiavone. Uh, but as they're sort of battling and Jungle Boy's trying to, trying to really get it in and, uh, and Adam Cole's trying to get out of it, they get up, they go to the referee and the referee's view is obscured for uh, Adam Cole to mule kick Jungle Boy right in the gack. And uh, Cole hits whatever the last shot's called now for the one, two, three. We'll talk about what came with the elite afterwards, Sige. But your thoughts on this? first 17 to 18 minutes of this TV show were absolute professional wrestling perfection. Like a cauldron atmosphere. CM Punk pers- cult of personality. Huge pap. Huge pap. Adam Cole's amazing in-house theme tune. Huge pap. Baltimore. Huge pap. Like a ridiculous wave upon wave of just sensation, noise, emotion, this is awesome. The match itself, I thought, was tremendous. Tell you what I loved about this. I, there's two things I want to point out in particular that I loved about this. You see the story quite often of two evenly matched competitors working a back-and-forth contest mm. to get two key story beats, story beats over. One guy's going to win, the other guy's going to get over and defeat. That's kind of the tried-and-true television special at this point in North American modern episodic pro wrestling. They articulated the story beat in what I thought was a magnificent way that built to just an absolutely incredible high spot. So the idea is because they evenly matched, each man at various points attempts to do an avoidance spot out in the corner, like the backflip or a back elbow or whatever. Both men are wise to it. So there's a game of chess going on. That leads to that incredible spot. And Jungle Boy's done it before, but because the story had laid it out to make it so even higher, it does the jump off the ropes, flying heads as a hurricane or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. to the floor. Absolutely exceptional. The way they told this 
was so creative and so dramatic and so suspenseful that when the two near falls happened, the stair trap clean in the middle of the ring, magnificent. They built that so well. I genuinely thought that was it. I also I thought, oh my God, Adam Cole's going to lose his first match in AEW, yeah. I also thought that was it for the Panama Sunrise, but it's the strength of the story because that's not his finish. The rational part of my brain knows that's not his finish. It's something he does in his matches for the reason being, oh, that wasn't his finish. They got that over. And Adam Cole did an NXT face. <laughs> the match was so great and his performance of a cliche was so great that he got the cliche over and the reaction that is being bastardized, cannibalized, made into parody cliche, whatever you want to call it. He earned it because the match was so well told and executed so well. The only thing that dragged it down for me, I thought this was pulsating, really intricate stuff. They love that finish a little bit too much. The music. We've seen it yeah. all out. Um, we see it quite often. I think they've uh, overdone it, basically. Mm. I groaned slightly when I saw it. Otherwise, the 18 minutes of the presentation, the songs, the action, the noise, the drama. 18 minutes of pro wrestling perfection. Six and three quarter stars for TV experience. <laughs> the extra quarter star was the finish. Yeah, I hate saying back and forth. I often lean on it. It's a bit of a crutch as to start off a match. But I thought it personified this so much because, like you say, they were so evenly matched. And it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily the teacher and the student, but it was two versions of potentially the same wrestler. And that's yeah. a hell of a compliment to, to Jungle Boy. Hamlet, your thoughts on the opener? Yeah, like, totally agree. Just a fabulous, fabulous match. Um, a pitch-perfect booking as well. So often we see this with AEW. They find the pairings. Um, that are just so perfect for the exact story you want to tell in terms of where everybody's at in the pecking order at the moment. We talk about um, Jungle Boy's progression and when and where to beat Jungle Boy and when and where to give him his big matches. Adam Cole is one of those ones where it's absolutely fine for him to lose. Adam Cole has already told you that he's on Kenny Omega's level and we had no problem with Kenny Omega beating Jungle Boy. So by proxy, we have no problem with Adam Cole beating Jungle Boy. And yet we know that technically he's kind of a rung below. So maybe Jungle Boy can get this scalp and, you know, maybe that's unfair to Jungle Boy. Maybe it would have played as a bit more than that because he's come on a lot more. But just Cole was in that exact sweet spot for you to buy the near falls. Um, and yet the hottest of the match, and I'm glad like Sidrick pointed this out as well, was the Panama Sunrise uh, because he, after he left NXT, he did a couple of podcast interviews where he alluded to the fact that those 40-minute epics that we all kind of hated were as much down to him as they were as they were Paul and Sean. And I, I was like, oh, that's not ideal. Um, and a lot of them would include 17 Panama Sunrises. And I was like, oh, you're killing it. You're absolutely killing it. He wasn't killing it, but he just had such faith in it. And he didn't have fans there to remind him of why he had faith in it. And now he does. Because you deliver it in the right place at the right time. And it's just the most unbelievable, thrilling near fall. And as Cedric says, it's not his finisher. We know it's not his finisher, but the way that he like generates that two count from it, I can only compare it to Sami Zayn constantly thinking he's going to win with the blue thunderbomb. Mm. Adam Cole does that to an arena of people with that Panama sunrise. So I kind of go back and I reflect and I think, oh, I understand why he did six against Gargano that one time. Because if you had more people there to respond to it, maybe he would have been getting this, this kind of noise. Um, yeah, the this is the second time they've done it, and I just want to put it over once again because I love it so much. Um, Cult of Personality into All About the Boom is the new opening a 90s house show with the New Age Outlaws. Like, it's the most <laughs> perfect way 
nothing can put you in a better mood for the wrestling show you're about to watch than that like one two punch like you are just i was like riding a high for the first hour over how good that makes you feel and i said this last week as relates to um happy smiling phil that like include adam cole in this now and certainly adam cole's entrance adam cole's entrance and cm punk doing something is the equivalent of your favorite band still playing the big hit even if they want to play the new material this company is still just back out on the road and every building they go to is going to pop just as loud every single time. It's not about the fact that we're seeing it every week. It's about how all those people are seeing it for the first time. So you cannot overplay that because that noise is going to be just as loud every single week. As long as the town is new, this is going to feel brand new. It's awesome. So anyway, post-match outcome, the uh, the super elite to, uh, to celebrate with him. Uh, Carl Anderson gets on the mic and introduces everyone, puts everyone over to be elite. He says you need to be the AW world champion or the greatest tag team of all time. And of course, Nack and Cutler are here as well. Uh, Cole says, look, I called my shot. I beat Jungle Boy on my own because Bebe is elite and undefeated. Brandon Cutler tries to call promo and they go, shut up, mate. Uh, Nick Jackson uh, takes the mic and instead hands it to the guy we all want to hear cut a promo, Michael Nakazawa. <laughs> CM Punk. Silence. Brilliant. <laughs> CM Punk chance here. Nakazawa said he's, he's got nothing to say. But thankfully, Kenny Omega does. He talked about how his social media has been blowing up after his match with Brian Danielson last week. Um, it might have been the greatest match in AEW history. And to be honest, he's not surprised. Uh, Danielson cashed in on his promise to kick Omega's head in, but he couldn't make it work when it counted. Um, and Danielson's got no record, so he isn't again a rematch, and he'll never see Omega face to face again. This, of course, causes Brian Danielson to come out. Brian Danielson asks the fans, he says, You know what? Do you want to see a rematch between me and Kenny Omega? And turns out they do. And uh, he says that Kenny Omega doesn't want the match because he hasn't got the balls. He says, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Kenny No Balls Omega. That gets a chant. It gets a T-shirt probably as well, in the words of CM Punk. If he didn't have any walls, Michael Cedric, what would he be? What would only be the only thing down there? Just his cat. It's just his cat, right? Uh, Omega's furious, of course, and uh, Brian Danielson challenges literally any member uh, of the elite for a match at Rampage, um, but no one says yes yet. Omega says, "Why don't we have a fight right now?" And Danielson says, "All right." But I have brought some friends with me because look how many of you there are. Out comes Frankie Kazarian, Jurassic Express, Christian Cage. They rush the ring, the elite bail. And I'm going to get to it now, Sige, because I'm worried I'm going to get too giddy and forget to mention it later on. Again, Brian Danielson versus one of the young books. And, uh, and uh, in the physical exchange they had at the all-out closing segment was just pulsating. Like, oh my God, I can't wait for that match. Naturally, I've had a few... Twitter interactions where it's been rave received. Apparently, the finish in particular is incredible. Uh, this wasn't the best way to build to it. I thought <laughs> uh, it was a little bit lame. Yeah, and that's probably generous. Like there were significantly WWE vibes to all of this. Yeah, but let's fight right now. I mean, the babyfaces in WWE haven't got any friends, so on that level, it wasn't a WWE thing, but very clearly trying to coordinate a chant with a pretty lame call and response bit. Look, Danielson, I've got so much latitude towards him that I can't really bury this as an overtly bad or cringeworthy thing, but it wasn't really cool either. Um, yeah, look, they have this tendency on AEW Dynamite where it's so bizarre because they otherwise allow the audience to infer things or to just 
allow things that have already happened to inform what's going to happen next. There's always this strange obligatory step that they have to do to tell you, oh, they're doing a 10 man tag. Mm-hmm. Oh, great, because we've seen all of the baby faces and the heels on opposite ends of the ring several times over the past however many weeks. All right, well, here they are again, but this one's packaged in a, in a way that's really corny <laughs> and very contrived. It's like, well, if that had just said, oh, they're doing a 10 man next week, I'd be like, all right, okay, that makes sense because I remember the last four weeks of television. Mm. Don't do it just to do it when I know what you're doing. Does that make sense? That completely makes sense, yes. And I sense Hamlet's going to agree with you on this one. Yeah, Cedric said lame about four times there, and that was the exact word I'd brought to the table on this entire segment. I have a... It's, it didn't really show itself to me until this week, but it's made me reflect on the prior ones. And I think it's just because... Um, and I'm going to talk about Brian Danielson here. Uh, because he was building to the singles match with Kenny, I think the words held a bit more weight um, and this week, because they didn't, because it was all very silly and it was all a bit grabby to get that chant over and uh, to get the match that we kind of knew we were going to get anyway, because we don't really need to be patronised on this show. Um, I get that Brian is trying really hard to tell us that he's not Daniel, but I get it. Like he's not doing the yes and he's swearing, you know, like and I, like, I know balls isn't like as, as dangerous a word as shit, which gets dropped every five seconds in, on every wrestling show now. But like I got a little bit of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, you said bitch and you've said shit and now you're saying balls. And just like, I thought that was part of this. It's like, uh, like I, do you know how I know you're not Daniel Bryan anymore? It's because you're Brian Danielson. Like, you, you don't need to do anything to tell me that. If you have to do absolutely one thing to tell me that, it's wrestle. And you did last week and I saw it. So next, we went backstage. Uh, the Lucha Bros were back to do an interview when Andrade El Admin El Idolo walked in, uh, <laughs> congratulated them on uh, winning their championships and asking where on earth Pac was. Of course, he challenged him last week on Rampage, I believe. Anyway, uh, Jose, the assistant, points out that they haven't defended the AAA tag titles in a long time. And uh, Andrade says, oh, I've got a mate. Maybe fancy defending them. And Phoenix says they'll defend them anytime anywhere give me vikingo vikingo however you pronounce it (laughs) i do not have the time to really explore the world of lucha libre and triple a as is just wonderfully presented to me in mp4 clip format on twitter when it's like look at this guy defy gravity and it's impossible get him and phoenix in the ring together if it takes a rubbish admin storyline to get there i don't care yeah, I, I I want the match more than I want any of the build to the match. Show me, don't tell me how great this is going to be. Because it's Andrade now when you need to. What followed was a really enjoyable match that I will never think about ever again because of the promo that came afterwards. It was Dante Martin and Matt Seidel versus Cody Rhodes and uh, Shotty Lee Johnson. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, on literally said, let's have Lee start this match. And Cody went, I'll be starting, thanks. This was the beginning of the end for this relationship, as we'll get into. Uh, so it's Cody and Dante Martin start off. Uh, they they go go out for a bit. They tag in their partners. This all mad flippy bollocks, of course. Uh, when we come back from the break, though, is when it all starts to kick off. Cody gets the hot tag, runs wild. Commentary says mm, fans are not really into Cody as much as they used to be. Uh, he hits a disaster kick on side Dow. Uh, he gets a near fall. 
Seidel comes in, so does uh, Johnson. Uh, they take Seidel takes him out. Dante comes in, springboard missile dropkick on Cody. Uh, we get a double springboard moonsault, defying bloody gravity yet again from Dante Martin. And uh, Johnson finally just says, let me in. Forces himself into the match, tags Cody, comes in, boots Seidel. Uh, he gets rolled up by Dante Martin for a great near fall. Uh, but he then super kicks Martin, Fisherman's Buster onto the knee. One, two, three. Lee Johnson gets the victory for his team. But let's be honest, we're going to have to talk more about the promo than the match itself, Pamphlet, because Tony Schiavone comes in to talk to the winners and Cody says, yeah, yeah, I'm really jazzed about that victory. Come on, let's let's have it now. Let's have a fight again, Malachi Black. But on Anderson goes, shut up. Stop talking, Cody. He talked about the fact that Malachi Black has always had their number. He systematically destroyed every single one of them, including himself. Just ask Lee, just ask his son, et cetera, et cetera. He says, Black is an assassin. He will take everyone out to win a match. Cody, you're the kind of person who'd give up your car if someone tried to carjack you. He talks about someone pulling up and pulling a gun on him and saying, you know, step out of the car, hand it over sort of thing. Well, Arn Anderson, his words would <clears throat> pull out the Glock, Put it on his forehead and spill his brains all over the concrete. Um, and he concludes by saying, I'm not going to coach a loser. And he says, Lee, come with me. And leaves Cody just standing there looking like a prick, basically. What a promo, Hamlet. What was this? I, I, I finally related to Cody, have I? I would get out the car and leave as well. It was funny. It was really funny. Like a huge popper of a line from Arn Anderson, the prosper, the visual of him blowing a guy's brains out with a gun. But like, <laughs> well, listen to what I've just said. How stupid is that? Like, how, like, it's funny, but how, I, I didn't get this at all, right? I like, I, I couldn't not like react. Like, I was, but wow, Jesus Christ, did he just say that? But I don't get any of it. Like, if you're Lee Johnson, you're going to be like, looking at Cody, dad, do I have to go with him? I don't want to go with granddad. Granddad's lost it. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't think this, like, it, it worked in the sense that it was really funny and the crowd went nuts for it. But, like, the crowd went nuts for Jericho saying, but who's on top? Gay stuff. Like, don't always judge what the, don't always judge when the crowd go nuts for if you're playing to their base instincts. And that's what this did. And I'll tell you something else as well. I don't think I understand where we're at in the Cody story as a result of this. I couldn't work out, and like, yes, I know. Cody doesn't believe in baby faces and heels, but I think I want to a little bit here. I want to know who's the baby face and heel out of Arn and Cody. Am I supposed to be rooting for Arn, the guy who pulls a Glock out on a guy who's trying to steal his car? Because I know I'm supposed to be rooting for Lee Johnson. He was awesome in that match. He took it upon himself. That physical drag, like I think like that match, I think this whole presentation of Cody up to this promo that has completely changed the conversation on the whole thing. I thought all of this was excellent. For the first time ever, somebody on the commentary table has been permitted, because it's at the exact right time in Cody's character, to comment on the preposterous expense of that entrance. And who was it? It was CM Punk. Brilliant. That we can all get really excited about that comment just being thrown out there by him of all people. Then you have this match where Cody disobeys Arn Anderson. Then you've got like Lee Johnson having probably like his standout performance in AEW so far for me. And like I said, the way he physically dragged Cody, this wasn't a case of like a blind tag, oh, a bit of dissension in the ranks. It was like, I'm just going to take this match off you, you daft old bastard. Like, I thought it was so brilliant. And then, yeah, as funny as this was, like, it's thrown the direction for a loop. I don't like, I'm as confused as Cody. I'm stood there in the air. I was like, what the f is he on about? Like, as Arn Anderson got on his clipboard, like, oh, like, yeah, um, grab a hold, stay 
hydrated, concentrate, and kill a bitch. Like, is that his fourth bullet point for Cody in these matches? Funny, in arena popper, what? Grizzled, beloved guy. Psychopath. Gun nut. Let's talk. It's not 2020 anymore. (laughs) Grizzled, (coughs) beloved, hard bastard who looks like he was 40 years old when he was 12. (laughs) Yeah. Who everyone loves because he was just a pro wrestling legend. Says the word Glock. (laughs) (laughs) It is literally the coolest thing. And it being the coolest thing for me is the point. They are telling you now explicitly, we know what you think. You think that Cody Rhodes with, in this current incarnation of his character, as the flag shagging, big conquering baby face with the hubris, is very lame. We are going to put that into hilarious perspective by having on Anderson talk about clocks. I think that was as simple as it gets for me. We know you think he's lame. We're going to make him look like the lame one and on Anderson's going to be the cool one. That was as simple as it gets for me. I have to agree with Hamlet about Lee Johnson in this match. Dante Martin got the literal highest high spot, but Johnson's work was so great. The thing about Danny Martin, and you'll get there with this, is that his stuff looks more spectacular than it does like it hurts. Yes. Lee Johnson's stuff looked like it really hurt. There was a snap and a stiffness to his strikes and the way he launched into them from these like, acute, tiny distances. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was exceptional. Like, if this is the big launch for the next big push chapter in his career, particularly since the pillars are now no longer the young guys, what an absolutely brilliant performance that warrants the push. I'm intrigued where the storyline goes. I was a little bit confused about where it's heading, who I'm meant to sympathise with, but I generally think the idea was, you think Cody's lame? Okay, well, we're going to tell this wonderful hypothetical story that puts that (laughs) over as being lame. Legitimately, my only concern heading out of this was that I don't know if the use of Malachi Black was just put there as continuity because it's happened and they're not not selling the fact that it's happened. It's the arc now that Cody has to toughen up or do something to finally get Malachi Black. I don't need that at all. I don't need a third match. At all. No. So I hope that isn't the direction. I hope the idea is on the back of all of this, Lee Johnson gets over as the cool guy in a feud. I hope that's it with Cody. Ultimately, that's what, if that is the direction, awesome, because Cody was made to look lame. In the post-match, in the match itself, Lee Johnson was made to look awesome, and he made himself look awesome. So if that's the direction, brilliant. What a difference a week makes. I'm just going to say, just on the mention of Malachi Black in that promo, I thought that was because obviously everything that Arn Anderson was about to say was designed to get him this like monstrous response. Um, I think this was Malachi Black's formal babyface turn. I think the mention in that capacity is not to bring back to Rhodes versus Black again. It's to have Malachi Black do something next week and... All you have to do now is have him do that thing to a heel instead of do it to a babyface. The response he got on Arthur Rash, the response he was even getting against someone like Dustin Rhodes, this perennial like babyface, this like hero of like a cornerstone of all that, like the young guys and all that sort of stuff. The fact that like Malachi Black was even getting cheered against him, like why swim against that tide? Anderson putting him over in the way he did to me tells me that the next time we see Black, he's going to be, he's going to have his crosshairs on a heel and that's the babyface turn as, as good as done because people just want to enjoy this act rather than like popping mad for the entrance and then having to resent the Black Mass. 
Yeah, I was just going to say about literally last week. I know he takes a bump in the match, but he falls off the apron because he's a, you know, I mean, it's the nicest possible way. He comes across as he isn't because I do not want him pulling his clock on me. A doddery old fool. This week he's like, I'll pull a clock on a fool at a traffic stop. I'm glad you reminded me of this because people don't like it when I do this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Here's a difference, right? WrestleMania 37. Mandy Rose or Dana Brooke, which one was it? Yeah, it's Mandy, I think you're right. Falls over, arse over Ted. Vince McMahon gets delighted. <laughs> His cruel impulses kick in. He decides, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> and then that's the storyline. And they just look like arseholes and it's all mean-spirited rubbish. On Anderson falls on his arse and the instincts of AEW's a promotion is like, we can't have that. It's not a nice feeling for him to have and he needs to be a player going forward in the storyline. So why don't you say the coolest, hardest, most badass thing you possibly could to get your heat back and your aura back? Boom, they did it. There's two companies that I cover. One of them rules. One of them, <laughs> one of them's awful. Uh, next was a three-on-three match. It was Moxley, Kingston, and Allen versus <laughs> Bear Country and Anthony Green. Hampton's just seen the look with Sid Gate. Yeah. Big old brawl. Piece of trash. Big old brawl to start this off. I can't wait till they tease the triple threat later on. Uh, he actually said it as well, but he didn't say it the second time. Yeah. Bear Boulder <laughs> uh, comes in. He just no-sells everything. Uh, shoulder tackles a slap, doesn't care. Catches a crossbody. Power slams Moxley. Uh, and Bronson comes in to uh, hit a running sent on for a near fall. But Kingston comes in to cut off a double team and just nails one of them with a German suplex. Uh, Moxley nails the other one with a suplex. Green tags himself in, and uh, in the midst of all this, Darby Allen comes off the top with a coffin drop to the outside. One of the Bear Country boys tried a spinning crossbody thing like on Moxley and Kingston. They just looked at him, just bounced off him, just looked at him, and then uh, they uh, hit that double team. I think it's called the Violent Crown, I've been reliably informed. That double team finisher of theirs. For the victory, post-match, Sting hits a door, scorpion death drop on green. Something and nothing, really. This is just a bit a great match, but just something to for the fans to enjoy, I suppose. Yeah, pretext to allow two of his closest pals, brutally that is, yes. to hold up signs and to have a little tribute moment. The three minutes we got, I really enjoyed. In contrast to the wingmen thing, which I thought was awful, this was pitched for me somewhere between the rubbish wingman squash and the awesome sprint between Ed Garcia and 2.0. You're never going to bottle the lightning of that ridiculous first match, <laughs> but this was a pretty good attempt at doing it. Some fun character moments that put Moxley and Kingston over as these sort of badasses uh, who are quite witty about it as well. The cruelty of the finish made no sense, but it had an inexplicable charm to it. I enjoyed it. I'm really tired of Moxley and Kingston's shtick. And that's what it's feeling like it's becoming now. It like hit me during Rampage. And this was a carry on from that. I've had enough. Like, give them some direction. Like, it's you can get by for quite a while on John Moxley and Eddie Kingston as this team of just hard as nails. Uh, charming psychopaths. But <laughs> I, need, I need both of them either as a team or separately badly to get some direction because I love them too much 
for this fluff and nonsense of which I just feel like there's been loads of with them lately. Really just feels like they're kind of like you, you're being asked to enjoy the aimless and Kingston and Moxley are so good that often they manage that, but I'm just, I'm just over it. Um, yeah, I don't get the same vibes as I did ahead of and at double or nothing, which when you put it in that way, makes you think, oh, I've been doing this drifting for a while. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I enjoyed this what it was, but uh, more of this, and you run the risk of, you never want to resent these guys. No, exactly. Ever. Mm. And more of this, and I'm pretty sure I'll get there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The HFO were in the ring. Oh, good. Oh, no, actually, this, this did play into something very enjoyable on the night because uh, Hardy Cuts, this promo, talks about the fact that a year and a half ago, he was supposed to make his debut in Rochester, uh, but he says that was deleted because Rochester is an awful town and doesn't deserve a legend like himself. Orange Cassidy's music hits. He comes out. Uh, all the Dark Order come out and make their entrance along with Negative One. Just a lovely moment on this tribute show, of course. And... Well, the, the story that's been following the Dark Order plays out during this match. There's disagreements right from the beginning. Alan Angels unmasks, argues with Evil Uno. Uh, and this all allows the opposing team, the likes of Private Party and Butcher and Blade, to hit their, uh, their double-team moves to get Neapols uh, to start the match off. In comes Orange Cassidy, though. Hands in his pockets, takes out both members of Private Party with a drop kick. We uh, go to the break, come back. Alex Reynolds comes in, gets the hot tag, and they have this weird relationship, sort of tentative friendship yet again between him and Evil Uno to take out Angelico. But they get some all miscommunication. Orange Cassidy comes in, though, hits a top rope splash for a near fall. And in the midst of all this, Evil Uno has had enough. He storms out. Uh, I think it was Reynolds goes after him. There's, there's, there's arguments. There's, there's people looking all about. You know, it's all falling to pieces. The HFO are taking control. The, 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 the commentators are apoplectic as, as to what Evil Uno is doing, particularly on this show of all shows, when who should come out on the stage? Not just Anna J, not just Take Conti, the people who've been trying to tell this team to get their heads back in the game and get back together, but negative one and the wife of Brody Lee, Amanda Huber, they come out, they bollock them, they try to talk some sentences with the C said, negative one throws papers at Evil Uno's face. Love that little spot. Um, and they realise that this is preposterous what they're doing, that they can't possibly fall apart, particularly on this show. And they all run back in and then it is on. It went 
bonkers. Everyone hits dives. Ten hits this mad spear through the ropes of the floor. John Silver goes mental, right? We've all seen him do this spot where he just tears through everyone at ringside. But obviously, presumably, I'm not going to, you know, say what I think he was feeling. But I can only assume what he was feeling on this show again of all shows. He runs wild. He lays out everyone. He jumps up on the top rope and effing and jeffing. Come on, let's go. He's so fired up. Um, it's just wild. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Uh, 10 nails one of the uh, opposition with a spine buster. Orange Cassidy takes out Hardy with the orange punt. Silver and Reynolds hit their combo. And uh, Uno and Grayson hit Fatality for the one, two, three. And post-match, the Dark Order finally reunite Michael Sidgwick. This is the worst hack thing, right? That every hack writer does, but, you know. Collins English Dictionary. Says, <laughs> professional wrestling. Seriously, professional wrestling in North America for the last however many years since the advent of television has been a morality play in which catharsis is delivered through really cool violence. Like if what well, this was that distilled, was it not? Yeah. Andy Murray said he nearly nearly broke into tears watching this, and I can understand why. I, I cry every time I see negative one. That little lad's got so much strength than I could ever muster. And to see him somehow have a little bit of fun and to play a role in something so magical as this, it's just, it just makes me well up every single time. I cry as well because I'm desperate to have a match with Wardlow eventually. The thing about this is what they did was every single move in that wonderful post papers, if you yeah. like, finishing sequence. Mm was more spectacular and exhilarating than the last. Like a combo thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was an unbelievable, like, spree of cool spots. Every single one of them was as emotional as it was spectacular. Mm. Um, Just genuinely stirring stuff delivered through the vehicle of absolutely awesome pro wrestling excitement. Silver spot was great. Everyone got, like, a great spot, like Cabana's and sort of stuff like this. To be honest, I was thinking, come on, Punk, talk about Cabana. Uh, nah, I had my headphones turned up. I was oh, like, I was listening to like a, anything. So it didn't get that. But at the end of the day, it's not what it was there for. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't for some like really lurid backstage goss. It was like a <laughs> moment. Um, again, I don't want to put myself over when the whole thing was designed to like really help out the Hoover fam- family yet again. Mm. But you knew this was going to happen. You knew the not very well acted stuff was all going to culminate in nice reconciliation at Rochester. And it made it all worth it. Of course it did, because this is just beautiful. As beautiful as it was, exhilarating. Yeah, this was, um, for me, this was like a bad match with bad histrionics. And then a final two minutes that made you realise how none of that mattered. And it only existed for the final two minutes. And the final two minutes were so perfect. A criticism, uh, and it's a, a gentle one. I wish that I had or found more time to stay in the ring a little bit longer. There was uh, that there was that dynamite paciness that took us on to the next thing so quick that we didn't really get much time of um, negative one on, was it Tens? Tens is favourite, isn't it? Yeah. On Tens' yeah. uh, shoulders. Um, like, I love that. And I would have had like a couple of minutes more than we got of that because it was just, it was, again, that was kind of what all of this was for. And then you got it, and then it was like, right, on to the next thing, back to the pro wrestling. And it's like, well, shave a couple of minutes off the fluff at the start of the match, and then we'll have some more time in the ring, because that's the yeah. that's the lovely bit. Paper spot, just hmm. fantastic. Like the paper spot is the f- perfect combination of us like really getting lost in the um 
this family having an important moment and also as being pro wrestling fans and appreciating callbacks and references and things like that. So when they do that, like that's that's the extra effort that satisfies everybody. And yes, I'm as bad as every other wrestling fan. I was desperate for CM Punk, even accidentally to react to Cabana's Asai Moon. So I just, whoa. And I was like, oh, I said, whoa, what does that mean? Let's analyze that one syllable word. Even on the stage, Colt Cabana came out as far away from where Sam Punk was sat at the table as he possibly could if he came back. I just wanted even them to be physically near each other for a second. (laughs) Because I can't switch this stupid side of my brain off. Otherwise, lovely. Really lovely. Leo Rush is all elite. We had a promo next from a 26-year-old piece of gold. I want to be a cowboy, baby. I was worried I was never going to be able to get say those words again, of course, when he, he retired uh, last year. Early this year. About five, was it? About five times. Five times. I was going to say, um, regardless, <laughs> fantastic that he's back in the wrestling ring. He's so talented, of course. Um, I have no idea what this gimmick is, if I'm perfectly honest. He's a... He's not a businessman. He's not a businessman. He's a businessman. Uh, he does something with stocks or something. I don't care as long as he's wrestling in AEW. Is it like a riff on him getting like, really great deals? Like, every new contract's better than the last. I've got <laughs> after the um, Class to see him. We've said this so many times, but it just, I guess, speaks to how great it was. Leo Rush almost single-handedly winning the Wednesday Night War in December twenty. 20- <laughs> 19 for his title <laughs> matches. I yeah. get him on the better show on the whole, and now he's here. Yeah, that's one more, isn't it? You've got like, aren't they like, aren't they a Rhea Ripley Shayna Baszler match short of having the full set of things that NXT did right in the Wednesday Night War? They've got Adam Cole over now, they've got Leo Rush over. Two point Ever Rise, Ever Rise, that's it. Yeah. Ever Rise, Adam Cole, Leo Rush. What else was good? Rhea Ripley's and Keith Lee's pushes mm-hmm. were really well. Yeah, liked. their pushes were good. Sign up, get Rhea and Bearcat over, and you're good to go. <laughs> close, close the other side down. And a wheel. Yeah. Oh, the wheel was good. Yes, the I mean, wheel was good. Gargano and Gargano's coming in soon. He's coming in soon, so he can bring his own wheel, can't he? Well, we got a promo from FTR and Tully Blanchard next. They admitted that they may be taking their eye off the ball and got too passionate and, you know, pissed off with the likes of Sting, etc. cetera. Uh, but Dax says they're revitalized, rejuvenated and refocused. And that is bad news for the rest of the division. Top guys out. And that was followed by Dan Lambert and the tightest tits in the game. Men of the year. Uh, they talk about Chris Jericho getting kneed in the face by Jorge Masvidal last week. Um, you know, Dan Lambert, he's given him some credit. He says, look, Jericho saved this promotion from itself. It turned into the hottest promotion anyone's seen in years. And then he came after a man of the year, an American top team, and he got beaten down, down like never before. He left his earning potentials the same as everyone else here. Zero. Uh, now they've cut the head off AEW and... Uh, Tony Khan will know how, will, the snake will know how to have now even more trouble selling this snake over the years. Scorpio Sky gets on the mic. He says he's one of the first champions in AW. He grabbed that sonic ring, won the face of the revolution ladder match. But all that wasn't good enough because no one around here was paying attention. Well, Dan Lambert, he says, he was watching. And Lambert sees him as a main eventer, just like Ethan Page. 
Ethan Page gets involved. He rants about how great he is at everything. You know, being tough isn't doing all this other stuff that these knobheads are doing. It's having two black belts. Uh, He's he's still, despite all that, he can't get an action figure. He can't get a spot in the opening video. He's got the best smile around here, and now he rolls with champions. There's there's what chance in amongst all this. This is where he nails the tightest pits in the game. And he says the men of the year are the top team. Hamlet, your thoughts on this? This was tremendous. Dan Lambert is a man that has a Glock in a glove box. Uh, and that's why I found Arn Anderson's mention of it so weird. He was su- like sublime here. I always put over Dan Lambert because he like he never misses even when sometimes the material does. But it absolutely didn't hit. And you could tell because of the very specific way the fans were reacting to him. He got under their skin in a way that they didn't like. Like he is talking at them, talking down to them. It's something that as millennials and beyond, it is something we are all stuck with and cursed with in life. And these fans knew this and got to exert that with that massive shut the up chant they got. Like he was really getting under the skin. And yet he does it in this way that's like gives you a bunch of poppers as well. So like every time he mentions fuzzy records, like I, I love that so much. He couldn't sound older. Then your fuzzy records, and then he still lands some daft balls of Jericho line. Um, and what I particularly enjoyed about this one compared to all the other ones was that I felt that they were trying, I'm not sure how well it worked, but they were trying earnestly to answer a very reasonable question, which was what is really bringing Dan Lambert and the men of the year together? What makes this unit make sense? Uh, I still think it remains to be seen if it can last long term, but I think this was a really strong effort from and the men of the year to try and make this work. I love that uh, Scorpio Sky. Scorpio Sky is now canonized Sonic Ring. I appreciate that being now in AW law because it's what we've all been saying for the longest time anyway. Um, he should mock that thing because it got him nowhere. So mock the concept. Um, liked Ethan Page's one a little bit less despite the Daddy Stiddy's line because I we've touched on this before. AEW should not be the place where the guys whinge about not getting the TV time and not getting the video game placements, even the heels. Um, wrestle your way up the rankings and get them. Even if you've got to cheat to get those points on the board, get the points on the board. Um, so yeah, that kind of when they go to that, better the heels doing the baby faces, but when they go to that, I always just think you could probably find something better than that. But it was in the context of saying why they maybe need Lambert. They've at least tried to sort of forge a relationship here that otherwise hasn't been so clear. So Lambert's stuff is always awesome, but I think from an narrative point of view, this was way stronger than the rest of the stuff's been. Um, the same and the opposite because Ethan Page here, masterful, like a masterful promo. The content I agree with, I've said as well in the past, like just don't in any way make AEW look anything less like a meritocracy or a bad product. Stupid. It's this kind of meta, mm. bizarre, self-owned storytelling WWE's done since, what, 2011? It's ruined it in the eyes of the audience. You don't, I don't want a hint of it. But the delivery was so spectacular like unbelievable. It's I just re- verbatim repeated the line when I tweeted Titus tits in the game. It was <laughs> so great. Um I'm about to say something, right? And people know I've got a facetious sense of humor, and I don't often mean everything that I say. This is going to scan as facetious. I'm I'm telling you now, I've discovered the secret. Ethan Page and now Sean Spears, right? I'll tell you, I'm onto something here. If any professional wrestlers are listening to this podcast and you're thinking, what else can I do to get over? I'm telling you, this is it. And it's something, why haven't we seen it in so many years? There's another thing, strutting as well. More people should strut. 
make your muscle tits dance for me. <laughs> Seriously, make your muscle tits dance for me. I'll, I'll pop. I think everybody pops. People pop for Sean Spears. He's like, hey, look at this. Beep, 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 beep. Ethan Page going, I'm doing it on an audio podcast. And I can't do it. I have to move my fingers on my tits. He's, he's making the boobs bounce. He's making the boobs bounce. Making the boobs bounce. Uh, Denny shake. Make your muscle tits dance for me. And I'll just think it's the coolest thing. More so than like a double rotation moonsault. Yeah. More so than a shooting star press. More so than like withstanding a head drop or falling off a cage. The one thing I physically can't imagine myself doing is doing, how do you do it? I'm going to try and do it on this podcast. We should all do it. I know it's an audio medium, but like I can I do a bicep curl. I can do my thumb underneath it, right? Like I can do like poses and like, how do you get your tits to dance? I can't. It, it, I don't even know how remember you when, uh, to learn. Remember when 100 year old Vince did it when he saw the camera coming back to him after the break when he was in that referee shirt? That was unreal. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you go for it, mate. Like, yes. do that. Dedicate 15 minutes to roll that. I cannot even begin to, like, how, how do they do? Bodybuilders, pro wrestlers. Yeah. On Twitter, let me know how to make those muscle tits dance. I will pop my tits off for you popping your tits. Yes. There you go. Titus. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Hikaru Shida, what the hell are you doing here? She turns up in a promo. <laughs> She's looking for a 50th win in AEW. She is going to face Serena Deeb. Oh, my word. Serena Deeb calls herself the woman of a thousand holds. She said she was going to submit Shida. We'll talk about this in a second. So we'll, we'll talk about it when we run through the card for the Dynamite anniversary show next week because we got TJ versus Ford and the Bunny. Oh, thank Christ. I think it's finished. I think it's all over, finally. Using an Italian voice, that's quite an indictment. I just, I'm just so fed up of this feud. And it's it's nice. Look, let's just move past it. Because like all four women in this are very talented. They just like you said, have gone the WWE route of you face, you face, you face, you, you face, you, you face. You. All right, we've done every possible permutation of this. Regardless, TJ won the match. Um, there was an interesting story told as well. You know, Tay uh, and, and Jay attacked before the bell. They attacked their opponents out on the floor because, of course, they've been cheating previously. Uh, Conti hits those judo throws of hers. In comes Anna Jay, but she gets isolated. Ford and Bunny send Conti out to the floor. And uh, eventually, as we come back from the break, Conti finally gets the hot tag. She runs wild. Uh, Ford dodges a clothesline in a really nice spot using that back bend of hers. She hit a stunner. Feynman's carry gut buster. She got a near fall for that. But as uh, they go for the uh, moonsault, Jay rolls out of the way. Tay Conti comes in and hits the Tay KO on the bunny. Jay hits the dangerous Jay kick, puts her in the Queen's layer submission. And Penelope Ford just passes out, basically. Tay and Jay have won. Let's move on. And negative, negative one came down to celebrate with them afterwards, Hamflop. Yeah, um... Like the negative one stuff that we've covered is, is all very nice. I, th- I thought this was really drab and perhaps worse. I thought it was quite tentative. Um, AW, have, well, no, this is the problem. I was going to say they've tried to tell you this is a blood feud, but they've not tried to book it as one. It's been so half-arsed that just because you asked to receive this as a blood feud and this supreme rivalry that has to finally come to an end, it didn't really play as one. Um, they either didn't or couldn't throw themselves into this in the the kind of the violence that you would want from this grand payoff and the match didn't scan as one as a result. It scanned like a tag team version of the last quarter hour women's match, despite the fact that we've had like loads of matches to build to this one. Um, this None of this has counted as 
telling an undercard story. This has just been a series of matches to build to other matches. So it doesn't address the problem and fundamentally the payoff didn't either. Not good. Well, <laughs> I got a lot out with Ty Conti running wild. Uh, I thought she was good in this match. Serviceable enough end to very, very apathetic, obligatory fare. Exactly. Uh, we get promos from Jake Cargill, Thunder Rosa, and Nyla Rosa to set up their triple threat match on Rampage this Friday. Apparently, that's what it is. Excalibur, you broke my heart. Corrected <laughs> himself later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, oh, on a night of wild promos, MJF goes, oh, my beer. He walks out. He uh, shoots on upstate New York, and he talks about the four pillars of AEW. He says, look, you've got Jungle Boy. Beat him. Sammy Guevara. Beat him. Darby Allen. Yeah, whatever. Uh he says he's the strongest pillar. He didn't say it like that, obviously. He's the strongest pillar of them all. He's in the first match at All In. He won himself twice the beautiful diamond ring. And uh, he puts himself over. He's the past, present, future of AEW. He should be AEW world champion. And he says, look, if it's not going to happen, I've got Bruce Pritchard's number on my phone. Maybe I'll give him a call if I don't get a title shot. This brings out Darby Allen. What a line this was from MJF. As much as I love the whole school shooter mime on a skateboard routine, <laughs> uh, he's not happy about Darby Allen coming to him. And he says, look, Darby, you're a, you're a number two guy, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. Talks about like Scotty Pippin, talks about his bloody best mate Sting. It, it, it did well for a number two guy. Says, look, I'm the, I'm the number one guy. Allen says, look, are you done talking, MJF? Prick. Uh, he says he's AW for life until death. Um, and he says, I can't really work out how you can be number one when out of the two of us, I'm the only one of us to win a title. MJF comes back and says, Wow, cool Batman voice. Uh, <laughs> about Darby Allen being straight edge. And he says, Do you guys know about why Darby Allen was straight edge? And oh, my heart was in my mouth for this bit. He tells the story we all. Uh, sadly know about when Darby was a child, he got into a car with his uncle, he'd been drinking, he got into an accident, and his uncle unfortunately passed away, and he says, look, it's a travesty, because the wrong man died. Oh, he's trying to get a reaction, you might have noticed from Darby Allen, but Darby Allen's having none of it, he says, look, you're not breaking me mentally, and uh, MJF is furious, and he storms out. Wow, this promo, Sige. I was head over heels in love with the promo, the delivery, the way it ended, but more so everything else that surrounded it on this specific show on purpose. I've got two core concepts that I love in my pro wrestling booking. Show me, don't tell me things and make it all deft. This did that absolutely magnificently. Before I move on to that bit, what I adored about the closing end of this was... That didn't break Darby mentally. He's not going to get a rise out of him that way. The delicious tease of what can he say or do that's worse than that next week as we invest in the storyline yeah. to break him mentally. What an absolutely low-key outstanding story thread that is. Uh, MJF, the perfect TV wrestler. Uh, between the stipulations for Cody, the labours of Jericho, the teases of the horsemen and how it became the pinnacle and whether he's going to join the inner circle or destroy it from within. Is there anyone better? And consider the entire two years in this, whether you thought some of it was executed well or not, of 
a hook for next week, a hook for next week, a hook, 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 hook for next week. Two years he's been doing this. He's a master at this. He's an absolute master, an absolute master at this. What the four pillars thing and how it all arranged itself on the night was just absolutely magnificent. So you've made canon this thing that we've all latched onto and we've latched onto it because they've done it of Derby, MGF, Guevara, and Jungle Boy are the four young, hot studs in their early to mid-20s who are going to be the guys. We've seen them very, very slowly make their ascent. Darby Allen and MGF are there. They can headline pay-per-views or TV shows and get the best quarter hours. Guevara and Jungle Boy are just underneath. They tell us as much as they've shown us this. But now they are showing more than they're telling. This is so much more powerful and integrated than Jim Ross in opera. Well, Jack Barrow's got a great future. <laughs> or, you know, all of this kind of stuff. To have them make this canon, and you've got two of the pillars in MGF and Darby Allen are about to have a big time up a mid-card feud. In the opener, on purpose, on this show, you have Jungle Boy positioned yet again to absolutely kill it. And if you look at the tags he's had with Jurassic Express, you look at this match with Adam Cole, he's possibly the most consistent TV performer of the last month and a half. And then in the main event, you strap up the fourth pillar and Sammy Guevara. You are telling us about the pillars and showing us the pillars on the exact same one show deliberately. It is absolutely exquisite booking. I'm head over heels in love with it. I mean, yeah, that's it's that is truly sublime. Um, it's not something I'd even like really picked up on when we've talked about these four before that they would be able to like combine these on at one show. And I'm really glad they did for that because I it was like I'd suggested a couple of weeks ago that we were headed to MJF and Darby Allen because it felt as if that was going to be the natural extension to Sting and Darby's aggro with FTR. Like there was a distinct lack of mention of the word pinnacle. Because as I thought, because they were wanting to have you forget that they were even aligned. It's like, oh, is that where like Darby and Sting are going to go next? They're going to find themselves in MJS crosshairs because they've got the wrong side of FTR. They have done, but they've saved it for this night rather than having it being some sort of follow through from the match last week, which I like more now because that um, that threat, that lingering threat that oh, MJF has failed to get into, like what's worse for Darby Allen, MJF trying to get at him with these lowest of low blows or MGF being given a week to plot how he's going to finally get into, like he's going to resent so much over the next seven days that he failed to get into Darby Allen's head that he's more dangerous now. Like he's got seven days to think about this. And look, just because it's predictable, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be awesome. Like you're fearing for Sting here, aren't you? Like you're fearing for what Wardlow, potentially all of the pinnacle, Tully Blanchard of all people who never got his proper revenge, um, what they're going to do to Sting because that seems like the easy and obvious and yet brilliant way to force Darby Allen to act, force Darby Allen to bite. Darby Allen is no babyface if in an effort to be so cool, he no-sells a bludgeoned sting. Like that will force him to act. Uh, and I just, I love that they can use, you know, they can get the real, they can get the heat from the real life situation here, but they can allow you to enjoy the story with the kayfabe heat with a, a father figure to Darby Allen next week, somebody that can get him beaten up for the benefit of the story. So I like, love how all of this played out and the content of the material was tremendous. 
Uh, before we get to the main event for the TNT Championship, uh, let's run through what we've got to look forward to. Rampage this week, Ryan Danielson versus Nick Jackson, that triple threat, the three-way, the no DQ three-way, Jay Cargill, Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose in a hair versus hair match versus uh, with Orange Cassidy versus Jack Evans. And then for the anniversary surge, the Elite, that's Kenny Omega, Adam Cole and the Young Bucks versus Brian Danielson, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express, the Casino Ladder Match and Hikaru Shida versus Serena Deeb. Like all of those matches got four star plus potential. If they can wrap great storyline direction, promos and angles, we might legitimately be looking at the best dynamite ever um, next week. So that's pretty cool. I won't go too much into the previews because we have separate podcasts for that. But just in case they start suddenly announcing names ahead of next week so that we can't do the casino ladder match. My ultimate pick for this, because I've wanted to see the TV match ever since the trios match a few months ago or a couple of months ago, um, because he'd be awesome in a ladder match. I want Dante Martin to win this and have an absolute ripper with Kenny Omega on television. He was one of the two names that jumped out to me. Um, the other was after the fact. I wonder if uh, Miro just takes it, just absolutely like abuses everybody in and has this match and we get this. Um, Miro Kenny Omega match that you know Kenny can beat him and Miro can suffer the consequences of a loss, but it was more the idea that Miro is so enraged at losing one title that he immediately puts himself back in contention for the next one. Um, but the Dante Martin one is something that we could see from the, the match a few weeks ago that like Kenny was keen to give him more than just that. So mm. you sense that singles match was coming. Yeah, hell of a shout that. Um, we got a, a recap of the history of. Miro, Fuego del Sol and Sammy Guevara. And then we got the match itself for the TNT Championship, of course, on this brilliant Brody Lee tribute show. Uh, initially, Sammy Guevara charges it. Miro goes for the running knee. Miro dodges it and just batters him, stomping on him, punching, kicking him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they pointed out on commentary, I think it was Punk who initially pointed it out, they probably shouldn't have wore a chain to the ring when you're facing Miro. And obviously Miro used it, choked it, I think broke the chain and then hoid it down onto the ramp uh, after he'd... <laughs> Had enough use out of it, basically. Guevara eventually fires up, uses a crossbody. They go out to the floor uh, and Miro runs at Guevara, but he dodges out of the way and uh, Miro crashes into the ring steps. Back in the ring, Sammy Guevara goes for a shooting star press, but Miro sensationally catches it and turns it into an overhead belly-to-belly suplex to take us into the break. When we come back, Guevara makes his comeback by uh, hitting a standing Spanish fly that looks spectacular as well. Uh, Guevara flips out of a German, avoids a corner splash, sends Miro to the outside and then hits that wild running dive over the corner post to the outside. Uh, Miro, though, fights back. He avoids a crossbody, hits a black hole slam, calls for the game over, but Guevara surprises him with rising knees. He looks for the GTH, but Miro's just too heavy and, and battling too much that he can't quite get him up. Miro hits that thrust kick of his for a near fall. And uh, I think this was the point where Sammy Guevara spills to the outside and Miro, angry as he was, starts ripping all the turnbuckles, uh, covers off. Fuego del Sol runs out, gets in his face and just gets chinned for his troubles. Uh, But that allows Guevara to recover and uh, hit his knee to send uh, Miro into one of the exposed turnbuckles. Tornado DDT on that surgically repaired neck of Miro's GTH. What a show of strength that was from Sammy Guevara. And he goes up top, as the commentators say, maybe that the GTH wouldn't have been enough, including Punk, uh, who corrects himself because he said he should go for the fall. And then he said, maybe thinks that needs one more thing. He hits the 6.30 cent on. One, two, three. Sammy Guevara is your new TNT champion. 
confetti rains down as Sammy Guevara stands tall with his new prize alongside Fuego del Sol, celebrating as the show goes off the air. Hamlet, what did you think of the main event and the new TNT champion after I believe, I'm going to say 140 days, I may have just made that up in my head. I think that him being champion is better than anything else about this. I didn't love the match and I didn't love the story leading into the match. Um, it, like, it, was, it was good. Sammy Guevara and Miro are great. Um, I thought the physical chemistry could have... Like, they could have I felt they could have done more with it. I thought they could have done more with the size discrepancy. Um, Miro didn't like ragdoll Sammy in the way that I would have hoped and expected. And I guess maybe that was a little bit too... Like ensure that Sammy's credibility wasn't lost, considering the fact that he was going to go on and be the new TNT champion, and there was a certain stature that physically that you've got to uphold if you're going to be taking on open challenges and defend the belts. I, I understand psychologically why they wouldn't want to do that for Sammy, but I thought it would have really benefited the match, and um, because it's such a cool part of Miro's offering. Um, so yeah, like a little bit disappointed in the match, if I'm honest. There was a, maybe like it's just a bit of a styles clash because they couldn't figure out what to work if they weren't going to work the full-on Miro formula. However. Really great moment, really wonderfully received by a crowd that um, the show felt like it needed to have the happy ending. We talked about this yesterday with the assumption that this would go on last as a lot of AEW title matches do. It was far more place for the Guevara win than it would have been the Miro one. Uh, and again, something else to reference on the preview. I love all the more now the preservation of Miro's title reign is virtually perfect. There'll be only wonderful memories of this reign, this transformative moment in this man's career. Like, I don't think it's an understatement to say that, you know, not just from how things weren't going so well in AEW, but for how we just connected everything all at the same time and then had a championship belt with which to vindicate that and proved it over and over again. The true merits of the wrestling meritocracy in the form of this Miro character. So a really fitting end in the form of a conquering babyface. But yeah, match was a touch of a letdown, but I don't think this is like, I don't have any worries about Sammy going forward as a TNT champion. This one just didn't hit in the way I thought it would. It's awesome to watch someone like Guevara and get in on the ground floor. It's a developmental and a major league in the way that NXT never was mm. AEW. Um, I remember when I first saw him when he came out with like the panda stuff. I was literally like, just about to say that. Yeah. I remember seeing him with a panda head and thought, oh, like, yeah, this is shindy stuff. Like, this is <laughs> shindy, shindy stuff. And I think he worked. Kip Sabian. Um, it's the first time I've ever seen Guevara work. Um, yeah, I remember that. Kip Sabian, double or nothing. I thought you guys are having a very athletically impressive, but soulless and contrived version of a PWG modern wrestling, whatever prefix you want to put in front of that. Maybe a cliche is the best one to put it. Showed glimpses of personality with his uh, like ridiculous athletics going into like the posing. But he's got something, but I'm not seeing it yet. To see him grow, to be the, one of the first guys to go what a platform episodic TV is. I'm going to have that for myself. It's been marvellous. And I thought it was a fitting end without being a spectacular match to the meritocracy. As Hamlet said it for me, I'm going to say it for Guevara, this was a perfect like representation of what AEW is at its core. Um, I genuinely think there were elements of this match that were great. There was just something that didn't click into classic, seminal, iconic territory. I would have given it two more minutes of the heat sequence to make the plight look like, oh, he's got any chance. Um, I, considering this is AEW, I'm astonished they didn't give him an absolute gusher of a blade job. <laughs> it's good as head open. But that's a short, if you don't have that much time to do a proper pay-per-view level uh, length match, little shortcut, boom, kick his forehead. 
make him bleed loads. Especially when he's rubbing his foot on his head on the outside. I think it might have been during one of the ad breaks, but I remember that. In, in the like, segment, he's just cockily, yeah. And hard way of blood has been a big part of the Guevara story as well. Maybe that was Mr. Trick. There were elements of match that I thought on a small scale and the big spots, like the over the, whenever someone jumps over the turnbuckles, it just looked to the outside looks awesome. Spanish fly looked great. Like elements looks great. Miro, I love him. And like I've got no doubts that'll book him well after this, whatever they do with him. Just the small little micro moments during bits where because we've seen a lot of wrestling at this age, and so much of the structure feels like an obligation of they have to do a heat before the cool stuff. He still has this awesome creative way about him where instead of like theatrically grabbing someone by the trunks and by the back and then launching them lawn dart style into the post. At one point, he just got Guevara by the side of the face and just went like that and smashed him into it. And I thought, me reward, like, rewards you for paying attention to the little nuances of his work. And maybe it was a little bit too understated, as I said, but it's just, this company works. This company works, and this main event was wonderful, if not entirely thrilling evidence of the fact that the process worked. I just I really enjoyed that main event and uh, exciting to see what they do next, not only with the TNT Championship, but with Miro as well, like you say there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've seen Guevara's first opponent. It's wild, weird. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's wonderful <laughs> on his uh, recent form, but who knows? Maybe NXT just really does suck and Bobby Fish will be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we have it, the uh, the special Brodie tribute show of AEW Dynamite and so much to look forward to, not only with Rampage, but the anniversary show next week. Let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCultureWrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, our preview of AEW Rampage coming your way tomorrow. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 